listening to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry. Joining me for this episode is Mr. Kevin McCall as we discuss another entry into the series, Losing a Child to Homicide. We'll be right back. Kevin, welcome to 247 Real Talk. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Thank you for having me, Julian. It's uh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you here as well. So, as I do with all of my episodes, we get a real talk. We kind of jump right into the real talk. So, from my uh, introduction, the audience knows that this is another episode in a mini-series that I have uh, created as part of the podcast that deals with losing a child to homicide. Um, why don't we start off by you giving us a bit of a background of who Kevin McCall is or who Kevin McCall was prior to losing your son. Sure. Um, I, I grew up in the Philadelphia area. Um, I uh, raised my family in Downingtown, Pennsylvania with my wife, Joanne. Um, I was a plumbing contractor for 30 years in that Philadelphia area. And uh, 2007, we decided to uh, move to Florida. At that time, my son Kevin was graduating from the University of Tampa. And my son Ryan was uh, in um, going into his junior year at the University of Tampa. Uh, at the 2007, we decided to move to Florida. And, um, you know, started start a new life with uh, the kids eventually becoming were becoming empty nesters and um we moved um in december of 2007 and um in august of 2009 it was um the day that my son ryan was murdered okay so, so this episode obviously deals with when that happened and everything uh Afterwards, so as in, as in as many details as you are willing to provide, tell us about that day. Yeah, uh, the day the morning started with my wife going to work about five thirty in the morning. Um, I was uh, working on uh, some different projects uh, since I retired from the plumbing business down down here. Since I moved down here, and um, sitting, you know, getting all ready for the day, had some meetings that I had planned. And around uh, 7.15, I was uh, in the kitchen grabbing another cup of coffee. I heard a knock on the door. It wasn't a normal knock. It was a very hard, rapid knocks. And uh, kind of stunned me. I thought, huh, something's wrong on the street. Um, emergency, that's the kind of knock it felt like. And I started to walk down my hallway, and then there was two more hard knocks and then a rapid knock. And as I got to the door... To open it up, I started to get a funny feeling in my stomach. I uh, opened the door, and standing there were three officers. And at that moment, I knew that uh, something happened to somebody in my family. Um, with the progression of what the officers were, it was a lieutenant, a sergeant, and a corporal. And at, at this time, it's 7.15 in the morning. Um, I'm thinking it's my wife. 
So when so let, I'm sorry, I'm gonna jump in and pause you there. So at this point, when had you seen your son prior to? Uh, prior, to, I seen him the day before. <clears throat> Excuse me. My um, eldest son Kevin was uh, buying his first house, and we were moving in him in his house over in Tampa. Um, and Ryan was there to help us move him in. And I seen him around five thirty. Um, he asked me if we can go, he can go home. And they were having a birthday party at their ha- their uh, house just off of campus. And I said, sure, go ahead, be careful, um, behave, have a good night. And that was on uh, August 18th. Now, was he staying on campus or were you expecting him home during that night? Uh, no, he was uh, staying um, off campus at a home that they were renting for the uh, his senior year. Okay. So go ahead. So um, at this point, the, the, the police were at the door um, and they asked me who I was. And um, so I'm standing there thrown through my head that it's my wife. And um, I told them who I was, Kevin McCall. And at that moment, they said, is your wife at home? And I said, no, she's at work. And then I knew it was one of my children. So they're asking me, can we come in the house? And um, very reluctant. I'm standing at the door. I didn't want them to come in the house because I knew at this time, once they entered the house, I would know what happened and what was going on. So that so was an effort to, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you several times if you don't mind. Cause I want to, no, I no, want no, the, I want the audience to actually sort of live those moments, you know, as you tell the mm-hmm. story to understand the impact of this and the, the whole um, meaning of this mini series. So at this point, what you're basically saying is that you 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 wanted to pause any bad news. You sort of wanted to, um, you know, we do it in life sometimes. Like, well, if we don't do something, then something that maybe already happened won't occur anyway. You know, you kind of had that um, premonition at the same time, hoping that somehow, you know, unrealistically, you could stop it. Right. That's exactly. I was trying to delay the inevitable, if you want to say. Um, and um, they pushed, you know, they they kept, let me, let me come in, Mr. McCall. So, of course, reluctantly, I let him in the door, walked down the hallway into my kitchen. And as I'm walking down, I started trying to figure out, okay, which one could it be? My, it's not my daughter. She's still living up in, um, my daughter Kimberly's still in Pennsylvania. And I know they wouldn't be coming to the door for that. I'd probably get a phone call. My son, Kevin, just moved into his house. I knew he was busy. So I was calculating in my head that it was Ryan. And he probably died in a car accident. That's where I was at. And um, we got to the end of the hall, um, hallway into my kitchen. and standing by the counter. Um, the lieutenant, you know, was standing there. Um, then Mr. McCall, uh, news that um, none of us ever want to tell anybody. Um, but your son, Ryan. Um, was a murder last night, uh, early this morning. And I looked at him and it didn't calculate. I just like, I'm still thinking car accident. Um, and I asked him and I asked him why. And he just said to me, your son, Ryan was murdered in a robbery attempt over in Tampa early this morning. And I, then I just proceeded. I was very calm. I told myself, um, as soon as they were coming in the door that I couldn't react. I had to stay very calm. 
Um, no matter what they told me, I knew that the rest of the day was going to be very hectic. I knew I had to get to my wife my, and tell my two children. So I, I, continue, I went on to ask them, uh, where was he shot? And they started to tell me where in Tampa. And I was more curious where he was shot on his body more than where the location was. So let's pause for a second um, again there. Mm-hmm. And you get the news that your son was murdered. Uh, before we go on with the story, I, I'm really interested, and I think my audience would be interested too, to understand, even though, so there, uh, there's probably two things that I can imagine that are happening to you at that point. There's the part of you that wants to, you know, go, to, go through the procedural part with the police, the conversation. But what about the parent? What about the, what were you feeling outside of that, you know, just uh, curiosity or whatever, that for lack of a better term of hearing what happened? You just got hit with, with this ton of bricks. What, what was that like? Were you numb or you know, what was that like? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I look back now. Yes, I was. Once I heard the news and especially that he was murdered, um, I was um, probably going into sort of a shock mode and a mode to, as a father and a husband, to go into that protection mode. So everything else, I just start cutting off um, and focusing forward on all the details. So um, I I was starting to just um, get myself in a a more like a, just a, a straight tunnel feeling like, okay, tell me everything's in, you know, this is, this is what I need to know. What do I need to do? And that's where I was probably at at that time. Okay. So that's understandable. I can almost uh, picture that. So tell us the details now of what happened. Um, they, they, they started to tell me the details where it was. And then I asked them, no, no, no. Um, I mean, on his body. Um, I don't know why I asked that question. I guess being the father and, you know, um, standing there, I just wanted to know, is he really, is he really dead? Um, so, and he explained where he, they actually knew where, you know, everything they needed to know. It's almost like they knew the questions I was going to be asking. Um, they answered quickly. Um, he explained on the body where Ryan was shot. Um, he ran, you know, he was shot in the, um, in the, uh, in the left arm and went through his chest and into his heart. And he ran about 50 to 60 feet and then just fell over. Um, they, you know, they, they told me the whole thing. And, um, as they were telling me this, the Lieutenant, the corporal walked behind me, which I thought was kind of strange. And I'm like, huh? So, um, I'm thinking, he must see something that I'm going in the shock that he wanted to make sure that, um, that something didn't happen to me physically. That's the way, uh, that's the one feeling I was getting. So I was really starting to keep myself focused completely then. Cause, um, I guess they could see more that I could feel at the same time. Okay. So and then, this was a, was he alone when this happened? Well, you know, um, the robbery, um, no, he was with a friend of his. 
um, they, they, they were, both of them were walking home from the party at a college uh, bar and they were walking home back to his house. He was renting and, um, a, um, the man jumped out, um, asked them for everything they had and hit a pistol whip, uh, his friend and his friend, um, turned to Ryan and said, we got to get out of here. And his friend took off. And this, in the meantime, his friend took off and fell. He heard a gunshot, but never knew if Ryan ran past him because uh, Ryan was in the, on the uh, cross country track team at the university. So he's thinking Ryan got past him and the, and the, they just shot at him. The, the person just shot at him. And he ran all the way back to the house and ran in where all his other friends were and said, is Ryan here? And they um, said, what do you mean? Ryan's with you. And at that moment, he yelled, call 911. And they called 911. And by the time they got back, which is about a block and a half away from where um, Ryan was shot, the police were already there and holding them back from seeing Ryan. And they didn't know if Ryan was dead. They didn't know what was going on. They were trying to keep them under control at that point. So, all right, I'm not going to put you through uh, too much of that recount. I just uh, thought that my audience needs to understand that foundation to get get the rest of the story. So what happens next? Mm -hmm. So in in the meantime, in the kitchen, the, the corporal says, would you want to talk to the detective that's handling the case? And uh, I said, sure. So it was really strange how these, how, how this whole thing goes through this. He picks up my cell phone and dials the number into my cell phone and says, now you have it. it the uh, detective's uh, phone number. So uh, I had to answer the phone. The detective says, you know, I'm uh, detective um, Sal Algeri. And um, I have, you know, news that I, really hate to tell any father and he tells me again about Ryan. So now I'm all, I know it's really true. That really told me at that point that yeah, Ryan was murdered and he's not here anymore. So I asked him, um, what do I need to do? He gave me a bunch of lists. I have to, um, you know, um, he'll keep me abreast of what's going on the, uh, on the investigation. They have Michael his Ryan's friend, um, down at the precinct, asking questions to him, and that I would need to call the coroner's office to give, you know, and they'll give you the information that they're going to need. Okay. So I said, okay, took down the information, and um, at that point, the day starts to move on. Okay, so before we get into um, the next part, I want to hear about before we get into uh, more of the details of the whole process is you are now at some point where. I'm assuming that you're the only one in your family that knows what happens and you need to relay this information to your wife and to your other children. Right. So at this point, the sheriffs say to me, you, um, do you want us to go and tell your wife at work? And I said, no, you can't do that. It's our place of business. They said, well, can we take you? And I said, no, I st- I don't think that's a good idea. I'll get there. And one of the, um, Sheriff said to me, well, you can't, you shouldn't go yourself. And I said, I won't. I said, I got to notify my two children and I want to be able to tell my wife. So they said, okay, remember, 
when we walk out this door, it's going to be all over the news because we're going to notify the, the uh, Tampa police that you've been notified. I said, okay, so get to your wife as soon as you can. So I walked them down the hallway and um, I closed the door and I just stood there and like, okay, now what do I do? So I started calling, because um, I had to get to my daughter. I call a friend of mine that lives up there in Philadelphia. Um, it, you know, I told him what happened, if he could go get my daughter. In the meantime, I'm going to be calling her, but I just wanted him to, to get over there as soon as he could at her workplace. So as I'm walking down the hall, I'm calling my daughter at work to tell her. Um, and she answers the phone. She says, what do you call me so early for, Dad? Is Mom okay? And I said, yeah, Mom's fine. Um, is it Snoopy, which is our dog? No, yeah, he's fine. And she's, and I said, Kimberly, um, can you get some coworkers and please sit down if you're not sitting down? Once and she really started to freak out. So I proceeded, she got a coworker and I proceeded to tell her what happened. And um, of course she screamed at work and I tried to calm her, you know, to a point I said, I, mom doesn't know, Kevin doesn't know. I hate to cut you off, but I have to get moving here. So I get off the phone with her and then I proceed to call my son. He doesn't answer. I leave him a message. In the meantime, I'm trying to figure out where, how I'm going to get to my wife. He calls back. I tell him, um, I tell him, you know, Kevin, I don't know how to tell you this. Um, and I tell him that, you know, Ryan died last night and you just, you know, you liar, you're lying to me. There's no way that happened. Um, I said, yeah. And I said, I got to get to mom and I don't want to cut them off. I want to be able to, but I knew what I had to do. And I asked him, you know, if you're coming, can you please have someone bring you? I do not want you coming yourself. So I get off the phone with him and I'm still thinking, okay, let me get changed. And my neighbor comes to the door, knocks on the door and I opened the door and she looked at me and she said, it wasn't Ryan. And I said, yes. And I'm looking at her. Well, how do you guys know? And here, it was all over the news all morning, but no names, just a UT student was murdered. And I watched the news every day. And this morning, I didn't watch the news at all in the morning. And they seen three police cars at the house. So I said, well, I got to go get my wife. Can you get your husband and take me there? So I go in, I get changed, get ready to go. We get in the car and... Um, and, her, and Jim, her husband, just looks at me and says, what are, you, what are you going to do? I said, I got no idea what I'm going to do. It's just, uh, I have no idea. And it was, it's a 10, 15-minute ride to get to where my wife works. And um, call, I'm trying to call family members the whole way there and can't get anybody. So I get to her place of work, and it's a restaurant. Um, so I walk in, and she sees me right away. My wife, she's a cashier behind the counter. and. I walk out of the way and I walk into another area of the, like the store area of the restaurant and a coworker is there. And I say, can you get your boss to get Joanne out? And I went up and I said, Joanne, um, you got to go. And she said, why? I says, I called the doctor um, and I'm having chest pains. I had no idea what to say. And I got to get to the hospital. I want you to go with me. And she's going, no. And she's not really believing me, but she's not sure. 
So I go, I, she starts to go get her boss and I go to the coworker. I said, you have to get her out of here. The worst thing has happened to a parent today to us. So she runs, her boss comes out and says, Joanne, get out, go with your husband. He needs you right now. I, we get out of the place of business. I get into my, I go to the car and I'm sitting there in there and um, I'm looking at her and she says, what's wrong? I said, um, something, something really bad happened this morning. I said, what happened? Who is it? And I, and I, 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 I didn't know what to say. Is it Ryan? Was, was he in a car accident? And I could, I just couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And I just said, Ryan's dead. And she just, no, you're not. You're lying to me. What happened? He's, in, he's all right. He's alive. And I said he was murdered last night or early this morning, um, walking home from a party with Michael. And um, she didn't believe me. Even though she believed me, she wasn't believing me. And she just started to go into shock at that moment. Wow. I'm going to... Um... Even hearing you recount that, you know, all this time later, and it's as a parent myself, I'm, 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 I'm almost as I listen to you in that moment, ima- you know, imagining but trying not to imagine. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I can almost understand exactly how you behaved because I think I would. I, I don't even know. I don't have words for it. I mean. I'm sure my audience, when they hear this episode, they're going to be, especially parents like myself, or, you know, that, uh, all I can say at this point is, uh, keep going. I, I'm really lost for words at this moment. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we get, we, uh, we all get back in the car and we're silent, silent all the way back to my house. And I knew this time that I, and I'm already getting phone calls from the media. This is how quick this happened that I was, I got to her that is, you know, right at the last moment. And, um, we get home, I walk her in, my neighbor's still here. She takes my wife to, you know, get her changed, you know, just put her something comfortable on. And, um, Joanne goes over and sits on the couch and she's just in a distance stare. And I know that I, you know, I'm just a very detailed person. So I think that took over me that I was able to push it behind me to enough where it was over on the side of me. Not, you know, I know, I know things are going on, but there were some other things I had to do. Um, never knowing here we are. It's, I got her at eight 30 in the morning. I bring her home. It's nine o'clock and at 20 after nine, I'm calling a funeral director. Um, up north, because we at this time we didn't know what we were going to do. Where they're going to stay down here? We're going to go back up north. You know, you're just so at this point we we you know Joanne's going. We're taking them up back into Downingtown. So I called the the uh, the um, funeral director that I know up there, and um, knowing that he was going to have to coordinate it with the coroner's office and give him all the details. And he you know he said I'm going to start sending you forms. And um, I had to call the uh, coroner back, give him the dentist office because they really didn't want us to go see Ryan, which was really a hard thing to do. He said, "I'm only we're only going to be able to show you a picture. I really don't recommend you coming um, if you can get the dental records." 
Now, why was that? So, I mean, because I'm assuming that the, the the type of shot that you say he got, he himself um, would not have been disfigured, at least in the face in any way. So, I mean, the normal process is for someone, um, first level relative to identify the body, right? Right. And, and I said that. I said, well, why can't we see him? Because my wife was adamant. She hears me talking. And he said, I just don't recommend it. We only show a Polaroid or, or similar photo of for identification. I said, okay. He said, maybe you can come Friday. You know, um, and at this point I'm realizing, you know, it's probably the thing not to go see him right now. Even though as a parent, you want to go see him. Because there's other things going on. Um, you know, my wife's in shock. My, my daughter's flying from Philadelphia. My son, Kevin's just arriving. Um, news media is calling on the phone and, and um, people are already delivering food. This is at that, but this is like at 10 30 in the morning, this is all going on. And I knew I had to coordinate um, the funeral director as soon as we could. So he can um, um, get Ryan and um, get all that done. This is how fast all this has to happen. And, and I've only known Ryan's been dead for, two or three hours now. So we, we, we finish all that up and um, I'm just like in an area, I'm just shaking my head. Like this isn't happening here. There's no way this is happening. It just feels like you're in a complete dream. Nothing's going, but you're still doing it. And um, I knew the you know, the news media was just constantly calling and uh, my neighbor worked for one of the news media as a cameraman and he came over and I said, what am I going to do? He said, just call a press conference. Just call a press conference, give them a time and they'll all come. And I just looked at him and said, well, can you write the statement to them? And he goes, yes. So at this moment, this is 1030, quarter 11 in the morning. He writes the, um, the press conference release, sends it to all the news media for three o'clock in the afternoon. At this time, my son, Kevin arrived and, um, we, you know, we were suggested to write a statement. So I'm saying, he goes, no, I want to write the statement. I said, no, he said, I want to do it. You know, and these are all the things that you're thinking about. And in the meantime, I'm worried about my wife. So, um, I called the doctor. I'm thinking she might need something, um, at this moment. So we get a doctor, the doctor wants her to come in. So my son, Kevin, and my neighbor take her to the, to the doctors to get her, you know, something to calm her down if she needs it. In the meantime, he writes the statement. Um, I'm talking to um, news media still on the phone and telling them there's a conference. They're just, it's just a nonstop. Um, and then the detectives call me back, letting me know that Michael Ryan's friend is okay. Um, which I was very concerned about. And um, that, that, and then uh, friends and family were started rolling into the house. Um, and um, at three, three o'clock, we got the uh, press conference. We stood up on our porch. It started to rain a little bit. And although news media was there and Kevin read a statement, my heart was breaking the whole time. Um, showing pictures of Ryan and, you're sitting there going, this is, this is other people. We see this on the news ourselves. 
and we're standing here doing this. And it's all I'm thinking to myself and watching Kevin read this, you know, about about his brother, who he was, and what he meant to him. And in, and the news media, they asked the questions. They were all very, very, very professional and polite. No one was out of line, um, which was was um, very um, refreshing at that moment, um, knowing that you didn't need any, you know, craziness in your life at that moment. So that ended, and that, as soon as that went ended, my daughter was coming in, Kimberly, from Philadelphia. Her work got her an airplane, got her a limo ride uh, to our house, and she was running up as soon as the, the press conference was done. And and all she said, where's mom at? And I said, she's in the house, and she just wanted to get to her mom. Now you you remember, I mean, uh, there's so many things going through my head at the moment, but you actually, it's amazing the level of detail that you remember from that day. And I, and I also find it amazing that you've been telling me this story now for almost 30 minutes. And all this is happening on the same day between what, seven something in the morning. And, and, you know, when your daughter arrived, that's a lot on day one, understanding that, you know, that's, I guess, an inherent part of, of a homicide. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- that day was so long, but so short. <laughs> it, it's a weird way to say it, but it just felt like a long, short day. And um, so, go ahead. Let's 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 keep going with the story. Go ahead. Uh, it, and so, so the news media left, and um, this is about three about four o'clock you know my you know everybody's you know um a lot of the friends and found you know my family isn't all here because everybody lives up in philadelphia other than my immediate family my kids and my son kevin and my wife and i and my daughter lived up north my brother arrives around six o'clock and i opened the door and he just grabbed me and uh it just wouldn't let me go and uh, we, he can't, you know, and then we just came in and he just couldn't believe what was going on. Then my other brother came in later on that, that, that it, the same thing happened. Um, my mother couldn't fly down, you know, um, she was, you know, she was in her eight, late eighties by then and um, had some health issues. So my older brothers had to stay up with her and, you know, he's apologizing to me on the phone. And I said, that's okay. In the meantime, we're um, the victim advocate from, you know, the uh, Tampa's calling already, um, giving us all the information we need, what we need to do. Um, and the day's not over yet. And this is seven, eight o'clock at night. She's calling, giving us all the information. And um, I'm just, I'm writing everything down. Um, you know, everything that's being given to me, what we need to do. And, my wife's still asking, when can we go see Ryan? This is like nine o'clock at night. And I said, well, maybe Friday. So the night finishes, then it's on the, so we're on the, so we want, everybody's there. We're waiting for the 11 o'clock news um, to see if there's anything about the case. So where everybody's on, we turn the 11 o'clock news on and um, what starts the news but a Tampa police officer is murdered 
in the line of duty the same day, that night. So Ryan's thing's on there, but it's very short. It's more about, of course, the police officer. And of course, your first thought is, okay, this this is going to take precedent. And you're thinking, oh, Ryan's case is going to move to the back. And um, I get a phone call from the detective knowing this is probably what goes through people's mind. And he said, listen to me, you know, the police officer that was murdered, he would never want us to stop looking for who murdered your son. So don't think we are. And I never asked him. He just knew to call and tell me that. So I betrayed that to my wife. And, you know, I said, you know, this is what, I, you know, this is what's going on. Everybody left. It's about 1130, quarter to 12. And of course you, you go in and you actually do fall asleep. Um, you don't think you are, but you're just so mentally and physically exhausted that you fall asleep. But of course, um, you wake up, you wake up early. Um, and the craziest thing is that when I went to sleep that night, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and the morning that Ryan was murdered, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning in a deep sweat, got up, went to the bed, came back to the bed. And I said, man, that's weird. And I didn't feel right. It was three Oh two. And I just went back to sleep. I said, ah, I wonder when, you know, it was this really weird feeling. I went back to sleep, never knowing Ryan was murdered at three o'clock in the morning. Wow. Um, so the next day comes and you think, okay, it's calm, but it's, it's even more of the media want to set up interviews and, um, you know, come to the house and, uh, more people coming and you're still trying to finalize, you know, the stuff with the, um, funeral director and the coroner. And here I'm signing papers of release for Ryan's body. I'm thinking, and you're still saying to yourself, this, this isn't happening because we haven't seen Ryan yet. And it's Thursday morning. And then Thursday comes and it's a hectic day. We do a couple news conferences. Friday comes, my wife says, are we going to see Ryan? And I had to convince her to not to go. At this point, I'm thinking this is, it's not good. Um, the funeral director's getting him ready to fly him up to Philadelphia at this point. Um, cause we're going to be leaving on Sunday or Monday to go. And, you know, Friday was just like Wednesday and Thursday, um, news media, news media and, um, the detective, um, calling, letting me know how they're making out where they are when they, you know, in, in, in keeping us where his uh, investigations going. And, um, you know, so the whole weekend was crazy. And then Sunday, Sunday night itself, um, we're all though, you know, it's only the three of us now alone in the house by ourselves, my wife, or the four of us, I mean, uh, my wife, my daughter, Kimberly, and my son, Kevin. And we're sitting, um, trying to eat, um, but then we had to start talking about what do we do with Ryan? You know, are we moving back to Philadelphia? You know, are we um, going to cremate? Should we cremate him so we can bring him back? 
because we, you know, and you're thinking it, it's easier to do it that way. And the things that go through your mind and we talked it over as a family and my daughter did not want to cremate him. And, um, my wife wasn't sure either, but we came to a decision that it was probably easier to cremate him after we had our services up in uh, Philadelphia. So after a tiring, emotional, crying, getting to that point um, on Sunday night, that's what we decided to do. On um, Monday morning, we flew back to Philadelphia. And Ryan was there already. Okay, so... so go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was... Um, I had a thought about whether or not, you know, you want, I, I, I want to make sure that as we go through this and as you relate this to the audience, um, I'm just checking, you know, to see how you feel about giving the details. Oh, I don't mind at all. Okay. So you keep going. We're, we're listening. Yeah. Yeah. This was part of my life. So, so, um, we get, we, we get to Philadelphia and, um, we get, we, we end up going back to the neighborhood that, you know, we raised our children and are staying at um, our neighbor's house, became friends across the street from the house that we sold, you know, to move. But we we lived there for 20 years and raised my family there. Uh, and we get there and Joanne's going, when we go, you know, she's on, you know, pins and needles to go see Ryan at the funeral director. So I, I called the funeral director and I said, Hey, we want to come over. And, you know, and he, you know, he doesn't, he thinks we're just coming over to sit and talk to him. Okay. He said, we'll bring some clothes for Ryan, what you want to put him in. So we, we go over to the, the director, we go in, we sit down and um, I just look at him and I said, Hey, John, can we, uh, can we see Ryan? And he looked at me and I said, well, well, he's not ready yet. I said, well, we haven't seen him yet since he was murdered. So he says, hold on. And he has some clothes. Yeah, my wife and my daughter are scurrying. They brought a couple different outfits, I guess, for him. And um, they give him one. And he says, um, are you sure? Because you won't get these clothes back. Uh, they grab them. They scurry in again get some more clothes that they thought might be more appropriate and gave him, gave him Ryan's running clothes or clothes that look like Ryan, you know, if it, it, shorts and high socks and sneakers. And so we're all, we're sitting in, you know, in the, um, the office waiting and we're talking about, you know, what we want to do with him and how, you know, this ceremony and how that it's all going to go. And then um, they come out and they say, okay, he's ready. And we walk in the room and uh, he just, he's all dressed up, just laying there. And you're thinking, why doesn't he get up? He's just on a gurney. And none of us walked right up. We all kind of walked in and in a circle and not sure. And I walked up and my wife walked up with me and I just rubbed his, his face and he had a little beard, you know, five o'clock shadow feels like it was starting on his face. And we just, you know, my wife just stood and stared and just looked at him and said, why did you go out? You know, um, 
something that a mother would say. <laughs> um, and I, you know, my son and my daughter, they stood back a little bit and then everybody finally was able to gather themselves enough to walk up and, you know, touch him and, and, and look at him and talk to him. Um, but it was, it was, uh, you know, four or five days. And now, you know, it's that made, you know, it was really true that it happened because we were living in, uh, me news media and police and, and, and family members and food coming in and out of the house and this happening, but never knowing is he really dead. <laughs> so at that point, um, we maybe 15 minutes we stayed with him and went back, finished all the details. Um, and then, you know, we walked by the room and he was still in there and um, we all just said, we'll see you later, Ryan. And he left and there was just a knot in your stomach and sickness and um, just pure shock still. Uh, you're, you know, you know, you're in shock, but there's nothing you can do about it. And there's not much talking between the four of us, um, which I thought was strange at the time. But I think that's kind of a normal uh, place you go. No one knows what to say or do. And um, we go back. And this is a Monday and we go back. Another two day, another day. What's it? Monday and then Tuesday. Um, not much was happening because we weren't going to have the services until Thursday and Friday. <clears throat> so we, you know, we just hung with family, you know, more family because most of my family's up there. So it was more again the same thing that we were living in Florida with everybody coming and going for like two or three days until we, we come up to the um, the night of the viewing. So we get there, you know, he tells us to come early. We get, he sends a limo, we go early and we spend some time with Ryan ourselves and everybody, you know, we all, you know, the four of us just, just, you know, almost, you know, just held hands and hugged each other and um, just wanted to make sure that we all knew we loved each other, that, you know, you know, we weren't sure if everything was going to be okay, but we're all here together with each other even with Ryan, you know, in the room. And um, we ended up, you know, in the service, the, the, the viewing lasted um, uh, two and a half hours and almost a thousand people came, which um, we never moved, never left, you know, n never, never wavered um, for those two and a half hours. And, um, we had our last moments again, and it was uh, strange. You're, you're looking at him, and I just said, Ryan, this is probably the last time I'll ever say goodnight to you. And uh, gave him a kiss, and we went back to the house. Got up early the next morning because it was the day of the uh, funeral. And uh, I wanted I wanted to get over to the funeral house like at 6 o'clock in the morning because I'm an early advisor. I wanted to spend as much time as I could, but knowing you can't, um, that was just where I was at. And, um, we got over there like nine o'clock in the morning and, um, spent some time and, uh, you're not realizing it, but it's the last time you're ever going to see him. 
you know, in the flesh. And that was probably one of the the hardest moments when we were closing the casket. Um, is is um, saying goodbye to your child. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I, I've lost someone close to me, so I, I, I understand that moment of closing the casket. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm, you know, yeah, you know, and it, it was, and I've lost my father, you know, years before this, and and my father-in-law, um, and it was devastating when that happened. But this was, this was totally different than that um when it happened your your the progression of life part wasn't part of this you know um you're burying your child i think is what was what got to me more than anything at that moment you know um you, you know you gave him a kiss and and the, and the door went down and that was it so that got us to, uh, you know through the funeral and um we uh stayed another day or so because we cremated Ryan and um that was a hard thing to do because we didn't know I didn't know whether my wife wanted to move back to, to Pennsylvania or not at this point, being that's where most of the family was <clears throat> other than my son Kevin. But there was reasons why we moved you know, it was the start of our our life. We were in our fifties or you know, and um being started to be an empty nesters and want you know it's something new, so we brought him you know we waited till Saturday, um we picked up the urn, and the strangest thing was um Sunday when we were getting ready to leave to the airport, my son Kevin wanted to carry him, and Kevin had one of his hats, and he put the hat on top of the urn on the bag because Ryan was never without a hat <laughs> and um he carried him through the airport, carrying him onto that airplane, and he hung on to that that bag so tight. And uh, we came home, had the urn in the house, but we were going to intern him eventually um, in the next couple of weeks in Florida here. And that's when real reality started to hit, because now my son's back to his house getting back to work. My daughter's up north and it's just my wife and I now. Yeah. I and can, we just said, yep. I can remember that feeling, you know, after losing someone, I mean, I, I haven't been to anything as traumatic as you have, but you know, it, the day after the, uh -huh. the amount of visits is, you know, it, it, it dwindles exponentially until you're, you're, you're all alone within you know, a couple of days after everything is done, it's like almost like nothing happens because everybody else has to go back to their lives. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's an eerie feeling for days. Um, you know, and, and, you know, at that point we knew it wasn't over just that part of it was over. Now we still had the investigation going. Yes. Yeah, um, and we didn't, Go ahead. We had no, we had no, we had no idea what that process was going to be. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit about that process. Um, while, I, while you were giving me the story, 
I kind of looked over here at my uh, Google and I saw the name David Earl Williams Jr. So lead us up to that. Okay. Um, so soon after the funeral, um, you know, we came home um, and the big investigation started to heat up. Uh, I would get um, almost daily, weekly phone calls from the detective on the investigation. Um, you know, who they were looking at, you know, possible leads. Um, and, you know, this, you know, and then if this didn't lead somewhere, where they, and it was, it was constant and, um, six months would go by and nothing, another six months, it's a year, nothing. Um, the detective, they kind of had a feeling in the beginning of someone, but they just couldn't get there yet. Then two years, nothing. So here we are still living in, um, working your way through the grief cycle and not getting any place yet in getting a person arrested um, in the investigation. So, you know, I, I was one where I was never frustrated because I, I wanted the police to be able to do their jobs with that intervention from us because we don't know what's going on and we don't know how to do that. Um, internally, you were frustrated. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in, in your in yourself fighting with yourself and, um, and with my wife and I, um, you start to become very distant now. Um, you, now the marriage is changing a year in. Um, you know the, the death, the you know the blames games start, and there's an investigation, and there's no arrest and nothing going on, and that became our struggle. Now through this process is trying to hold our marriage together. Um, through this whole thing, and that's one thing um, I swore wouldn't happen. Um, that our marriage wouldn't fall apart. And um, during all this process, the victim advocate, um, we went to them and we had a counselor and we would go see the counselor through this process through the years, the first year. And they're there to help us work our way through the grief processes along with the legal end of it all and, the, you know, how that all works and helping us through that. And not knowing it was going to take um, the time it's taking. And then we're into the third year. And, um, fi you know, in, in the third year, it was in May, uh, I get a phone call that they um, finally nailed down uh, enough to make an arrest. Let me pause you right there. Let me pause you right there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to skip over something that's really important because I've been, you know, I've had this conversation with various people and, um, it is a statistic that when a married couple loses a child, there's a very, it's a very high percentage that the marriages are destroyed. <clears throat> and that is usually, like you said, through the, um, the guilt and the blame, it, it creates a distance and an, an, an involuntary distance between two people. Um, I remember when I was, I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or nine years old, um, 
my uncle, my father's brother and his wife, uh, my cousin died. It was something that was, um, he was in Brooklyn, in New York, and he was watching, uh, playing baseball and watching the game and the kid swung up the ball and the, and the bat flew out his hand and hit my cousin in his head. And basically he went down, his brain twisted in his head, it got swollen, you know, not to get, not to di uh, digress from your story, but I say that because they managed to keep their marriage together. But I, I, you know, the story that we're giving here, I want the audience to understand each step of what you as a parent are going through. And at the same time, as a husband, you know, and, you know, what, what the struggle was. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The, the the major struggle between the two of us was, um, you work your way through the blaming part, but you just just to touch each other didn't feel right anymore. That was, uh, you know, I, I know for the both of us that was the hardest thing. Um, we, you know, like you were saying, it's not intentional. You didn't want those things to happen. Um, there's times where you're like, we're done here. You know, it's over, you know, we'll work through this, but when, you know, this is over, it's done. We're, we're done with each other. Um, it wasn't the two of you that was causing it. It was the loss. And now the investigation, because you think that's very important to you at this time that you find someone that murdered your child. Um, so, you know, my, you know, we, you know, my wife and I, it wasn't like a lot of fighting. It was more like just distance from each other, you know, um, one room to another room, you know, it, it, you would talk, but it became generic talk. And, you know, for my wife and I, you know, we've known each other, you know, I've known her since she was uh, 14 years old. And, um, you know, at that time we were married 30 years. So it's not like we didn't know each other. And I think it was the frustration of being distanced from each other was hurting us um, mentally, not knowing how to fix it. Um, and going to counseling during all this was actually never knowing it was the most important thing to do. And uh, in the beginning, I knew that in one respect that there's no way we could work through this by ourselves and hopefully keep our, not just our marriage, but our family together. Um, because there was some distancing between my children at the same time, because they see their mom and dad disappearing. And um, we don't know how they're feeling because I'm a father and a husband and my, my wife's a wife and a mother. And uh, they they were worried about us as we were worrying about them. So the whole dynamics of the family starts to um, starts to tick and drop away. And that's that's through, you know, that's the thing that we were trying to hold together. Um, and when the you know, when May came of 2012 and we get the uh, my wife and I decided to go away and hopefully, you know, for a few days. Um, we went up to St. Augustine in Florida and hopefully maybe start to, you know, connect a little bit, forget about everything that's going on and, you know, 
just try to maybe start to try and find each other. And of course, boom, detective calls me the first day we're on a vacation. Well, you know, and um, he says, we're going to be making an arrest. And they knew we were away because we told everybody, you know, the, and um, we're going to, you know, the arrest is coming. We're, you know, um, we finally have someone. Um, and when, you, you know, they want to know when we're coming back. And so we're staying here till we had like three or four days. <clears throat> and um, they said, okay, we'll hold off on um, making it a, you know, they'll do the arrest and get all the paperwork done. But, you know, of course, they wanted us on um, a news conference and set all that up. So now the, the whole process, the reason why we're going away changed again. Now we start to get in, the, the getting at each other just because you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's going to happen when you go back and what's coming from that. Now you're into the next um, realm of your child being murdered. <clears throat> so we end up getting back and um, the Tampa police set up a, the chief of police sets up a press conference for us. And uh, um now that we are at the police department and the news media is there and you're looking out over the news media and you're like, wow, this, this ain't ending. You know, uh, you know, we're three years into this and we haven't been able to grieve and properly work through the loss yet through the struggle. Um, and I had to give a little talk and, you know, a little, a little speech. I gave something small. Of course, then they would ask questions, and and um, my son Kevin was there, and my and the heartbreaking my daughter being in Philadelphia, she couldn't fly down for it, so she was missing things. So her anxiety through this because she was away from the area, um, and your heart was breaking that she couldn't be part of it, and just that whole dynamics of that the arrest um, you thought was going to like okay, this is over. And we get done the press conference, we go down, we start talking, and now it's, okay, now it's the um, the legal end, the justice system. And you'll go from, you know, that thinking, you're thinking it's over, but it's not over. So we meet, you know, that we go and we meet with the um, state attorney's office, and they sit down and tell us, um, you know, the arrest, you know, that the, the, he's going to, and they made the arrest, um, and he was going to be um, brought back to Tampa uh, in a couple of days after that. And um, at that point, we still we only know a name; we don't have a face. And um, he just goes through the whole what's going to happen when we get the trial. And tells us right then and there it's going to be at least two years to get to trial. And we're like, wow. So we, we leave there. We go home. Two days, three days later, he's being brought back into Tampa because he was in jail for uh, another crime that he committed right after he murdered Ryan. And they were bringing him back to, to, to Tampa. And the first time we got to see him was on the news when they were bringing him out of the police car to take him into the um the, the the jail in Tampa. So that so, so now so now we're um, trying to 
work our way through the arrest and getting ready for a trial. <laughs> so at that point, um, now we start going through all the setups for the trial and all the um, pre-trial hearings. Um, I never missed one. I was at every single one. And, you know, and um, there was a, a couple times um, I get there and um, David Williams wasn't in the courtroom and I asked the state attorney, can he be here? He said, sure, we'll bring him in. And I, my thought was, if I have to be here, you're going to be out here. <laughs> um, so, you know, my, my wife, you know, we she was at most of them, one or two she missed just you know, her work that she, she couldn't do it. So I made sure I, I went to every single one. And uh, we get through the two years and then it went on, up to three years. Um, in the meantime, we've been keeping ourselves busy um, doing a lot of things through all this. We started a foundation. We were doing um, fundraisers in Ryan's name. So it, we kind of created something that started to give us some 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 hope and some um, pathway to a healing. Um, and we got you know and through this whole thing that kept us going, and we get to the trial uh, in April of 2015. Right, and now we're we're almost six years since Ryan was murdered. Um, and we were all preparing ourselves for the trial. And of course, you you know, it, since it's a murder, you know, you're, you know, as a family, you're asked, you know, to put your input in for, you know, whether it's going to be a uh, a, a um, death penalty case um, or not. And of course, you know, as a family, you're sitting there like, huh, now we got to think about this. So we all um, talked about it. We all came to the same conclusion from different places that um, we'd rather not have him put to death. Not that you might want it, but there is reasons why we all came to it that we didn't want to. That really wasn't a driving thing for the prosecutor not to do it, but they do ask us. So it became a process for us to like, okay, now we got to think, you know, so we get through that process and we get, and we get the trial. They're not doing a death penalty case. Um, and we walk in the courtroom that day and um, they bring the jurors in and the courtroom's just filled with um, people on our side. Uh, and we we just, you were so numb. It was, it was a weird feeling. It, there was you weren't looking for anything because I told my wife before it started. Remember, no matter what happens in the courtroom and when it ends, we still go home, and we're still who we are. So don't expect a guilty or a non-guilty verdict to make you better or not better. But um, she thought getting the guilty verdict would be her release. Oh, was it? Because I'm reading here that um, I'm doing a quick uh, 
survey of the of the whole story, and I, you know, um, I'm surprised I never saw this story before. Um, but how long did the trial, the, the actual trial, take? Because I see that obviously he was convicted. Right, five days. And three-hour deliberation. Right. And mm-hmm. according to what I'm reading here, it's you got life without the possibility of parole. Yes. Okay. What did that do for, or did it, if anything, did it do anything for, for your wife or for you? Well, when it ended, um, the, the guilty verdict came. We all cried. Everybody, we all stood there and cried and hugged each other. There was no joy. You know, it was just pure sadness and relief. Yes, I'm reading here where you told the judge today is the end of August 19, 2009. Right. So that, that ended that day. Right. Five, how many years later is that? Five? Six, almost six years. Almost six years later. And um, I know there's a lot more details you could tell us about the trial, but you may have, yeah. that may have to be a separate episode because I, I don't want right. to, I don't want to give any, I, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to your whole story and I'm, I have all these different emotions in me as a father. I've got, you know, and, and I can't even describe some of them, but I can tell you that one of them is anger. So I don't want to give much time in this story to, to, I'll call his name again for that despicable human being, David Earl Williams uh, Jr., I think it is. But, um, you know, before, before we, we sort of wrap up this story, tell us a bit about the Ryan McCall Foundation. Okay, yeah, um, we started it um, out of a, a realm of my son saying, hey, let's, you know, they were both runners. So, um, along with uh, the uh, cross-country coach and my son, Kevin, and, and his friends said, hey, why don't we just have a run? So we decided to have a run in one year, and um, it went off pretty well. Um, so we started the foundation not soon after that and um, continued uh, to have a fundraising run in Tampa in every April. And then we had a uh, fundraising event up in Pennsylvania every February, right? When Ryan's birthday was in February. So that's where we had that. And we raised money to give scholarships to high school students um, down here in Florida and also with the high school that Ryan went to in Downingtown, Downingtown West. Um, As the years went on, um, we partnered up with the Children's Cancer Center here in Tampa um deciding to um to to uh raise money for the cancer center um to help the families going through um things that they were going to be going through so as a family we thought that would be the best thing to do um and then we also hooked up with um connect through cancer uh a cancer group up in Philadelphia area sort of does the same thing. They just help families. There's no research involved. It's helping families in their time in need um, going through hardships. Uh, and that's where our foundation has morphed into now, where we're, we're trying more to, um, to help families 
in their time of their need. And that is an amazing way to honor um, your son, honor the person he was, um, keeping his memory alive and keeping who he would have been today alive. Um, I want you to do one more thing for me before we wrap up this episode. And that is as a father, as a husband, as a survivor of, of losing a child to a homicide. I want you, whatever your message is in a nutshell, whatever you want to say out to the audience, uh, whether it be to a parent who loses a child or to someone despicable enough to take the life of that child, what would your message be? The, the, the major thing that I would, um, it, it, it's kind of hard for me to give advice, but is to, if something happens in your family, um, drastic and, um, takes a part of your soul away is to try and keep your, your, your compassion and the love for yourself and your family, because that's the most important thing when something like this happens is keeping your family close to you and holding on to them because they're all We all grieve from different places in your family a son, a daughter, a mother, and a father, we all have different grieving process. But being close to each other, even if you don't speak a word, don't don't offer advice unless you're asked um, is my biggest thing. And the, the, the one of the biggest to friends or, or family members, I, I always said to them, um, please don't try to understand. Just be understanding. That is that is that is, a, and I understand what you mean by that. Having uh, dealt with a loss, too, and you know, in my own way, I understand, and that is mm -hmm. a powerful but um, truthful, and I think uh, necessary message for people to understand because what you know, what the tendency is, you know, what the inclination is, and what's actually needed is uh, two different things. Um, right. But I thank you so much, Kevin, for uh, let me say this. And would you go ahead? Would you mind? Would you mind if I mentioned my book? No, absolutely. Um, I, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Real quick. Yeah. Well, it, through all this, um, I'll, I'll do a quick uh, summary of it. Um, I started journalizing soon after Ryan died, suggested from our um, support counselor, and I never thought I would ever write anything. So I started journalizing every day, you know, periodically from day to day, and it turned in almost every day. So I decided to write a book about a year ago, and I called For the Love of Family, How a Knock on the Door Changed Everything. It's my actual journals put in a book. Um, it's the entries. It would So it'll be January 21st, 2010, or, or August 19th 2013 whatever entry i put in is what's in the book um it kind of gives you a pathway um for anybody who has lost anybody 
especially a child. Um, after I read it myself, I never read the journals until I decided to do the book. And it's it's a pathway that everybody goes through, but different ways. Um, and it gives them an a outlook on where a family might be when they have a loss, even if it's not a child. So yeah. I, I recommend anybody to pick it up and read it. Um, I've been told, I've been thanked by family, uh, by people who read it that I didn't know that lost a child and thanked me for writing a book so truthful. And where can people find this book? Um, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Fantastic. Um, and, uh, You've heard Kevin talk about the book uh, there for my audience and all those who are interested. It sounds like it would be an amazing read and a very emotional read. The link to the book will be in the body of the podcast when you listen to this episode. So, you know, from what I've heard tonight, from what we've all heard tonight, it's I would tell you to go out and get the book and digest it at your own pace and understand that none of us are immune to this happening in our lives. You know, it's, it's, um, first let me say again, thank you, you know, Kevin so much for not only agreeing to do this episode, not only doing what you and your family are doing in Ryan's name, but being what I would feel from my perspective, strong enough and driven enough to recount this story. I'm sure this is not the first time and in such detail, um, I think when my audience probably starts out listening to this episode, they would think it's, you know, we're, we're going to talk about your son dying and then go into the whole trial and, 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 and the, the perpetrator and all of that part about it. And what you brought in this episode is the human side, step by step, of what a family goes through as a father, as a mother, as a brother, as a sister. I think that... You know, we, we as human beings have gotten to a place in this world where we're so careless about life and we're so um, complacent about it. We, you know, I, I despise the fact that someone feels that they have the, the right to even commit an act that could result in the loss of another human life. We didn't create it. We have no right to take it. And I am very affected by hearing your story um, as a parent and I just can't imagine um, and, and you sound so composed I understand that this is years later but I just can't imagine dealing with this it's it's yeah as I was listening to you I felt like I should just go bury my head under a pillow or something because I, I can't imagine just dealing with the emotions and everything else of this and so it's amazing that you share the story but it's you know for everyone out there um, for those who have lost, and I'm doing a mini series, and this is the second episode in this mini series, you have people like Kevin that you can turn to for support. You have this, the, the Ryan McCall Foundation, and you know we, you don't have to go through those struggles by yourself. No matter where you are, um, if you hear this episode and you're hurting and you need help, reach out to me, and I'm sure Kevin would mind uh, connecting with you to help you. Um, but I also want to say, you know, in, 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 we live in such a violent time now that I want to say this to the, to the next person who picks up a gun or a knife and feels that, that it's, it, it somehow empowers them and it's a way to something. You don't have a right to take something from someone that's not yours. You know, in this case, 
the 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 perpetrator didn't even get a dime from Ryan as, as I'm reading. He got nothing. All he did was take a life and 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 basically be a destructive force not only in your family's life but in this world. And I don't know whether this message will change one person's mind who you know whose habit is to pick up a gun and, or a knife or or rather than go out and, and earn an honest wage, you know, they decide the easiest way is to take something from someone else. If it changes one, then it's made a difference. But um, I think my audience will wonder what happened to me in this episode because I'm usually very talkative throughout the episode and I could hardly speak. So um, thank you again so much in, on so many levels. Um, um, you know, maybe after I read, and I will be, you know, I will take the time in between my busy schedule to also read your book. And, uh, you know, I may have additional questions that, you know, maybe we'll ask you to come back on if the, if the sure. details of the trial warrant it. As I said, I don't, I don't like to give too much airtime to, to, you know, to, to the perpetrators. I'm, I'm, I'm not into that. Right. And, you know, and I feel like they, they should just be, he got life in prison without parole and he just should remain there silently till the end of his time. So, um, this has probably been my most emotional conclusion of an episode, uh, on this podcast. But again, I thank you so much and it's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you and your family the best. And like I said, if anyone reaches out, I'll be sure to make that connection. So thank you so much for being in the episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure to tell my story. Um, stories have to be told like this sometimes. And uh, your your message that you just gave was um, so wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. say a very 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 special thank you to my guest kevin mccall for this episode for taking not only the time but having the ability to recount every detail of the of every parent's worst nightmare i want to also thank him for the ryan mccall foundation and for all that he's doing to be support to others who go through this type of tragedy also want to as always thank my audience and my supporters out there for your continued support Reminding you that you can listen to every episode or any episode of this podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also head over to the website www.247realtalk.net where you have all the episodes and details about the guests. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or if you'd like to send me a message, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, do take care of yourselves and each other.